Hello and welcome to this test episode of Pay-Per-View where I'll be reviewing the papers and big headlines over the week and placing events and headlines in their true context in a weekly podcast and I'm going to start with a typical example of mainstream media ignorance and naivety with a story about smart technology and smart meters. The headline is Never mind the new energy meters, it's other smart devices at home that should really frighten you, writes Alex Brummer, whose household, like 7.7 million others in the UK, according to the Daily Mail, has a smart meter. And this guy, Alex Brummer, writes this article and he says, My household, like 7.7 million others up and down the country, is now the proud owner of a smart meter. It gives us a constantly updated reading of how much we are spending on electricity. We didn't request the device, we were simply given it by our supplier, EDF, the French-owned electricity giant, which is one of the so-called big six firms serving more than 90% of the country's homes. This is something that many people have found, that even though those who have tried to resist smart meters have found that they've had their houses broken into and they've had them installed by force for, because the agenda behind smart meters and smart technology and it's very sinister indeed not be getting to that as we go along uh, the article continues a display for our smart meter sits on a counter at the entrance to our kitchen flashing 24 hours a day the idea behind such meters was multifold first by making us all more aware of how much electric electricity we use the hope was that we would cut down and reduce our bills this is particularly important when our planet is running out of fossil fuels. Also, these electronic devices obviate the need for meter readers to visit our homes. For my part, in keeping with the nudge theory of economics, whereby a subtle change in policy encourages us to make decisions on our self-interest, it is already making a big difference to the way in which our household behaves. No longer are unwanted lights left on, television sets are not left on standby, and wherever possible, shorter cycles are used on the washing machine and the dishwasher. Indeed, the old, an old-fashioned clothes source in the utility room is taken over from the tumble dryer. So far, so good. And the Bremer household is fulfilling the hopes of the energy regulator Ofcom, encouraged by government ministers when it set out its nationwide programme of installing smart meters to encourage energy efficiency and meet targets for lowering carbon emissions. This is one of the biggest apparent justifications for this smart technology and Agenda 21, which fundamentally connects into the introduction of smart technology. Now, this wouldn't be so bad if the official story behind climate change was not an absolute scientific nonsense, which it is, which many scientists have taken apart. This idea that 97% of scientists agree that human activity causes climate change is an absolute nonsense. And they say that the science is settled. It's not settled at all. There's a lot of science that proves actually it's all the other way. Human activity is not causing climate change. And you'll notice that when we talk about climate and Earth temperature, nobody ever mentions the sun and the sun cycles and the explosions of energy from the sun. Massive explosions of energy. Um, anybody think that might have an effect on Earth's temperature? But you don't have time for me to get into climate change at the moment, although I'm writing a Facebook post about it. A massive one. But this whole thing about we need to make changes in society based on um, the fact that humans are causing the warming of the planet is ludicrous. But it justifies so much of the elite, this elite that I've spent 10 years talking about and the very sinister agenda they have for humanity. It justifies so much of that agenda and that's why, no matter what evidence is presented, they don't relent in pushing the carbon dioxide causes climate change lie. It's a massive lie. But it's one of the reasons, is what, one of the justifications, apparently so, for smart meters. It goes on. At the same time, businesses are being disciplined into changing consumption habits. But, and there is always a but, smart meters have their critics. Trading standards chiefs have complained that energy firms are misleading customers by wrongly saying the device is a legal requirement. There are also worries that wireless connectivity may make them vulnerable to being hacked by criminals and of course the £11 billion cost of the rollout is being passed on to customers through bills at a cost of around £300 for every UK household. Yet for many, the most worrying concerns are about privacy. Smart meters may inform us about wastefulness, but like so many other electronic devices, they are capable of spying on our lifestyles. 
for the simple fact is that they are mini computers with the potential to act as spies in our homes. Critics see them as modern day Trojan horses that could harvest vast amounts of data about our activities. For example, details about when your usage is highest could be passed to a telemarketing firm which will know the best time to call your house. There is already proof that data from smart meters is being monetized. An analytics company has admitted it takes energy consumption data from smart meters to build a highly personalized profile for every utility customer and can then provide a direct link to appropriate third-party organizations based on the customer's identified character. All this information can be misused in the wrong hands. But despite the concerns about smart meters from training, standards, officers and citizens advice groups, I am convinced our use of other electronic devices is much more of a threat to our privacy and security. It is no exaggeration to say information about ourselves that we willingly or unwittingly hand of firms such as Apple, Amazon, the monster that is Amazon, that is taking over so much of commerce and retail. And in the end, it's planned that small businesses, medium businesses, even some of the larger businesses are going to disappear in the Agenda 21 world justified massively by climate change. The Hunger Games Society, as one researcher has dubbed it, where there's a tiny few who live in absolute luxury. I mean, I know there already is, but they want even more luxury than they have now. Basically, they want, if you're not them, they want your money too, to put it as simple as I can. And everyone else will be in poverty everyone else in the world, dependent on them and the authorities doing what they want. The world government, as it's planned to be, an unelected world government, take the structure of the European Union and apply it globally. And that's basically what you've got in terms of the structure they want, although it'd be far uh, more uh, draconian even than that. Um, if you don't do what authority says, if you don't do the job they're telling you you have to do, because that's another one of their... I mean, that's a stated goal of Agenda 21. They want... They say that people will be told what the job will be. And if you don't serve the state as a slave, you don't get access to money, you don't get access to anything else. So this is where we're going. And the, I mentioned the European Union just now. There's trading deals like TTIP, the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership. And among the various things wrong with that and other trade deals like that is the fact that they can take governments to court when governments have laws. These are, these are the giant corporations I'm talking about, Amazon being one of them. They can take governments to court to overturn laws that are actually there to protect people. There's a lot of laws that are there for the sake of it, just to control people, but some of them are actually there to protect us and for our own well-being. They can take governments to court to get those laws overturned if the corporation believes that those laws could affect profits. Also, Amazon is well on the way to having an absolute monopoly of online trade. According to an analysis by Slice Intelligence, 43% of all online retail sales in the US went through Amazon in 2016. As the e-commerce giant's market share continues to grow, this is according to an article in the UK Business Insider. It says, according to the study which analysed more than 4 million online purchases, Amazon accounted for the majority, 53% of the growth in US e-commerce sales for the year. Simply put, Amazon's already dominant share of the US e-commerce market is only increasing. Where it's going is that corporations like Amazon will, will massively monopolize online trade globally. That's where we're going. See, so many things connect into one another. The mainstream media sees events in and changes in society in isolation. One of the reasons for doing pay-per-view, as I've said, is to place events in their true context. And that means connecting the dots, as it were to show the connections, because you find connections all over the place when you start looking at what's going on from an understanding of the elite's global agenda. I'm writing a book at the moment. It's going to be an e-book. Um, it's called The Global Agenda Playbook, How the World is Run by a Tiny Few and to What End. And it shows very clearly the agenda. And once you know the agenda you can and the techniques used to bring it into society, 
the mass mind and emotional manipulation techniques because there's too many people for the elite to do it physically although they can uh, do it individually with technology and that's where they're going in the end what is what this smart technology is all about among other technology and the internet and wi-fi all connected to this smart grid and this cloud that people like Ray Kurzweil talk about but at the moment they can't do it physically they have to do it through manipulation and perception and once you understand the mass mind and emotional manipulation techniques they use to bring the agenda into society and the agenda itself you can start to see the connections you can start to connect the dots in ways that you never could before because mainstream media reports everything as isolated and unconnected for the very simple reason that most journalists don't have a clue what's going on one of the main reasons why I'm doing pay-per-view to place events in a true context and show the connections context and connections that's what the mainstream media misses and well not just that only also the truth about what's going on is missed by the mainstream media a lot of the time but even when they do actually report the truth they see it in isolation rather than connected to a much wider panorama of human control and suppression the article uh, continues it is no exaggeration to say information about ourselves that we willingly or unwittingly hand to firms such as apple amazon and google which is another monster which is has a monopoly uh, online is also massively behind this transhumanist agenda which this smart technology is all part of it's got its own robotics it's got its own focus on technology. It's an absolute monster, Google. It is no exaggeration to say information about ourselves that we willingly or unwittingly hand to firms such as Apple, Amazon and Google makes us much more vulnerable. It could be used by cyber criminals, for example, to disable home security systems. In extremists, information could be passed to foreign enemy powers. But the fact is that the capacity of modern devices to spy upon us is almost limitless. We know from watching TV police dramas how detectives can use mobile phones as tracking devices, pinpointing calls, texts and locations dating back years. Amid my own social circle, at least one, this is this guy um, writes in this article. Amid my own social circle, at least one spouse knows for mutual convenience where their partner is almost every minute of the day. If consenting adults can monitor each other in such a way, the brains of Russia's equivalent. There we go, they've got to blame Russia again. Stick the old Russia demonization in. This whole, see, the mainstream media has just accepted the fact because they've been told by official sources Russia is hacking this, it's behind the, it's behind manipulation of the US election in 2016, it's behind this, it's behind that, it's doing, I mean, you know, what else is going to be blamed on the Russians? And the evidence presented for all of this, uh, but the mainstream media repeats it anyway, because it must be true, because the government's saying it. This is how it works. Russia has been in the agenda for a long time. The West has wanted to demonize Russia, not least to start conflict with Russia as part of a long, long time plan to kick off a conflict with Russia and kick off a conflict out in the Middle East for a massive conflict, potentially a global conflict, which would allow them to change society because that's one of the techniques that I talk about in the book I'm writing. Create a problem, sometimes no problem, just the perception of one, like we have with Russia now and like we had with the weapons of mass destruction in iraq blame someone or something else for it or if there is no problem they just demonize someone and claim that they've done this or that or could do this or that this gets the public mind and the public emotions or some anyway although it's less and less nowadays are falling for it to accept or even call for the solution to the problems that have been created by the very people that are, or either the people that are talking about the problems or usually the people that are representing that force that caused, ultimately caused the problem, to offer the solution, which is advancing the global agenda. So we're seeing this with Russia now. And also they have a problem with Russia, just as they had a problem with Syria with Assad because those two had actually done a much better job of holding back Islamic State 
ISIS than the West had done because the West didn't want to stop ISIS despite what they say. They want ISIS to gain more and more land and to cause more and more of a problem because they can, through this technique, justify their agenda on the back of that. The reason people like Putin have done a much better job and Assad have done a much better job of holding back ISIS is because they've actually been trying to. The article goes on. If consenting adults can monitor each other in such a way, the brains of Russia's equivalent of GCHQ and international crime gangs will find it a piece of cake. On this basis, we should be wary of speakers using Amazon's Alexa service or Google's home gizmos. Devices wirelessly connected to the internet, controlled by voice to play music, set alarms, check the weather and shop online. Having a robotic friend in the home which can access music, answer general knowledge questions, turn on the heating and oven and write letters for you may seem a marvel of 21st century living. Well, I say in the book I'm writing that what these office assistants like Siri and Alexa and these home assistants, what they're actually doing, if you look at it, is getting people to be more and more lazy and delegating responsibility, delegating simple tasks around the house to these assistants, to technology, to artificial intelligence. Now there's two types of artificial intelligence, it would seem, or two basic types. There's algorithmic intelligence, which is computer algorithms that you create the algorithm and then technology runs it on its end each time. So there is a certain level of intelligence there, there's a certain level of decision making, but there's full-blown AI or what is called strong AI or general AI, which is the fully self-aware artificial intelligence. And what these office assistants are doing is getting people to be used to more and more artificial intelligence running their lives and running everything. And it's also getting them to converse, to be talking to artificial intelligence and merging the human mind, even on that basic level, with artificial intelligence. It's all about preparation. Because where they want to go with technology, this transhumanist agenda, which people like Ray Kurzweil and Elon Musk are openly talking about, the way they're selling it to us, I would fundamentally disagree with. They say it's going to make us superhuman. I could not disagree with that more if I tried. It's going to make us subhuman. The equivalent, uh, in fact, more than the equivalent, because the body is a biological computer. They want to turn us into a computer terminal on a wireless control network, a wireless control grid. This is what the smart grid and the cloud, which are basically the same thing. Um, people like Ray Kurzweil, a Google executive and co-founder of the Singularity University in Silicon Valley, California, of course, Silicon Valley, very focused on technology. That's where Facebook are, that's where Google is. These monsters, Ray Kurzweil, will know, although he won't say, what transhumanism is really about. And interestingly, talking of Google and Facebook, one of the most, if not the most, evil corporation, or organisations rather, on planet Earth is DARPA, the technological development arm of the Pentagon, which builds things like death rays and endless other technology to enslave and harm people. They are massively behind this transhumanism agenda. And an executive of DARPA, a woman called Regina Duggan, a few years ago left DARPA and joined Google as an executive. Now that would seem to be a very interesting career move, but when you realise that DARPA, Google and Facebook, who she later went on to join after leaving Google, are all behind this transhumanism agenda ultimately, then it makes sense because she's just, all Regina Duggan has done is gone from one organisation massively behind transhumanism to another and then another. Facebook is behind transhumanism, not least through its incorporation of artificial intelligence into Facebook. Algorithmic intelligence at the moment, but as is planned, because artificial intelligence is planned to control the cloud and the internet. And as people like Ray Kurzweil talk about, the idea is through nanotechnology, which is beyond the ability of the human eye to see, which it's very, very possible, and I'm almost convinced that this is the case. Nanotechnology is coming from the sky in what is known, or through what is known as chemtrails. 
chemical trails as opposed to condensation trails from airplanes and aircraft where you see the exhaust of the airplane the white trail behind the plane then it disappears and then you see some more and then that disappears chemtrails are different in that they're full of chemicals hence the name they also stick around in the sky and they expand out I was out walking one morning and I saw this massive um, white sheen across the sky incredibly wide contrails don't do that contrails don't do that because they disappear very quickly so it has to be something else and that something else is what's become known as chemtrails but I was posted a picture on my Facebook today of someone I know that has spotted chemtrails this morning and people say oh chemtrails that's just imagination that's just a load of rubbish well I mean there is documentation proving chemtrails but all you've got to do is look up at the sky and you'll see the chemtrails and I'm absolutely convinced that um, nanotechnology among all the other chemicals uh, nanotechnology is um, in uh, chemtrails I mean when you've got people like Ray Kurzweil talking about how everything in nature is going to become intelligent through the infusion of technology, nanotechnology. How are they going to do it? Are we going to have people going around with jetpacks spraying everything with nanotechnology? Of course it's going to come from the sky. It's the only way you could do it. So the idea is that we absorb this nanotechnology. I, mean, I remember reading an article about a Berkeley University study which found that nanotechnology can enter the brain, the pathways of the brain. And this is what Kurzweil talks about. And Basically, the nanotechnology will, because it's smart dust is another name for it. It's also called neural dust or digital dust. A definition of smart technology is that it can communicate with other smart technology. And this is how they plan, as Kurzweil talks about, to, and he's written best-selling books on uh, the subject, Ray Kurzweil, as well as uh, interviews and stuff, making speeches, selling this transhumanist nightmare, which he will know is it plan to be a nightmare. I mean, you don't become an executive of Google, uh, which is massively involved in transhumanism, without knowing about transhumanism. It, it just, it, that's why uh, Regina Duggan left DARPA to join Google, because they're both involved in the same agenda when it comes to transhumanism. Facebook and other organisations as well. As Kurzweil talks about, this smart desk will connect us with the smart grid, also called the cloud. And the cloud will eventually do more and more and more of human thinking until, as Kurzweil talks about it, it does all human thinking, controlled by artificial intelligence, a fully self-aware non-human intelligence. I see transhumanist promoters and I see people obsessed with technology who don't necessarily know the gender, they're just obsessed with technology, um, talking about, oh, artificial intelligence is going to do this, artificial intelligence is going to do that. Google's behind driverless cars, which are planned to be controlled by artificial intelligence. The question I don't ever see asked is, what is this artificial intelligence? What actually is it? And I would suggest, from information that I've come across and other uh, signs pointing in this direction, that artificial intelligence is very, very different and far more sinister than what we are told that it will be. I mean, if anyone's seen the film transcendent starring Johnny Depp where Johnny Depp's consciousness was downloaded into a quantum computer and his consciousness was then running everything connected to the internet which was Johnny Depp's consciousness was downloaded to the internet and it became internet consciousness and everybody connected to the internet was being influenced by uh, controlled by Johnny Depp and they spread nanobot dust on the wind. In our world, I say it's coming from chemtrails primarily, although it is uh, used in food, it's used in food packaging, it's used all over the place, but the prime source of it seems to be the sky through chemtrails. And everybody who absorbed this, this nanobot dust became connected to this Johnny Depp consciousness and the internet, which Johnny Depp controlled through the merging of his consciousness with the internet. That basic plot of that movie is only what people like Ray Kurzweil are talking about. So this transhumanist agenda 
is very, very sinister. And smart technology, not least smart dust, is massively behind it. So Google is an absolute monster. It's fundamentally involved in transhumanism. The article continues. Indeed, at a belated Burns Night gathering at the weekend, I watched as Alexa was deployed to play lines from the Scottish Bard and provide pipe music to perform the reels. But as much fun as it might be to give orders to Alexa, it should not be forgotten that when it sits in our living room or kitchen, it can pick up on every conversation. Subsequently, it is able to send the signals back via wireless systems and Bluetooth to the vast technical centres in the desert of Nevada. The chilling truth is that as users of computers, tablets, mobile phones and other electronic gadgets, we have no proper understanding of how technology giants are desperate to harvest and commercialise details about every most private aspect of our lives. Via a record of our ordering history with the online giant, Amazon knows what books we've been reading, what electric shaver we use and what style of handbag we prefer. As a result, they will bombard us with suggestions for future purchases based on our known tastes. It can be far more exploitative than a suggestion for a Margaret Atwood novel or a new pair of curling tongs. The social media giant Facebook is watching every one of its estimated 2 billion members' interactions. Estimated 2 billion members? There's 7.5 billion people. This is the talk about monopoly. Estimated 2 billion members' interactions with other people, using algorithms to track friendship groups and common interests, and then selling the data to its advertising partners. Over the years, Facebook has been accused of deceiving consumers with its privacy promises, maintaining information about people even after they have deleted their account, and keeping a log of our movements across a number of websites for 90 days. Although Facebook has been forced to drop some of its more egregious tactics, um, officially, other risks are constantly emerging. Our increasing reliance on online devices to do our banking has made us vulnerable to cyber criminals who can empty a supposedly secure account. The more we put our trust in smart devices and social media, the more we place our privacy and security at risk. Even the most simple device, such as an electronic baby alarm, is a security risk. Consumer magazine Witch reported that hackers searched the web to find unsecured baby monitor cameras and then exploit them. They may do this for criminal gain or just for kicks, they said. Which added gravely that you are opening a gateway from your life to somewhere else by using one of these electronic devices. While this is alarming for individuals, it's potentially ruinous for businesses, especially those at the cutting edge of innovation um, in the public eye, although there is technology far beyond the public eye in underground bases and projects that the public are not told about, uh, that is far ahead of um, anything we see, and uh, some of that is massively behind this transhumanist or is massively used for this transhumanist agenda um, especially those at the cutting edge of innovation who could see decades of research stolen by cyber thieves in seconds that is among the many reasons why GCHQ was so reluctant to give Chinese investors access to sophisticated control devices to be used in the new nuclear plant being built at Hinkley Point in Somerset in a world of Alexas and cyber-savvy criminals, where we happily tick consent boxes on websites and online contracts, allowing digital giants to access our innermost secrets, privacies are lost courts. Electricity smart meters, by contrast, are a relatively harmless spy at home. Indeed, by encouraging us to help save the planet, they are on the side of the angels compared with the friends, the fiends rather, who run some of the world's ruthless digital giants. Smart meters are harmless. They are an absolute abomination to human health. Don't just take my word for it. This is the American Academy of Environmental Medicine. They say this. The current medical literature raises credible questions about genetic and cellular effects, hormonal effects, male fertility, blood-brain barrier damage, and increased risk of certain types of cancers from RF or ELF. In other words, extremely low frequency a lot of technology now works on ELF or EMF uh, frequencies ELF levels similar to those emitted from smart meters children are placed at particular risk for altered brain development and impaired learning and behavior the board of American Academy of Environmental Medicine finds it unacceptable from a public health standpoint to implement this technology until these serious medical conditions or concerns even are resolved 
we consider a moratorium on the installation of wireless smart meters to be an issue of the highest importance. Absolutely it should be, but it's not. Why? Because smart technology is fundamentally important to the transhumanism agenda, which is fundamentally important to the overall agenda for global human society. This is um, a guy called Ole Johansson. He's uh, an associate professor of the Experimental Dermatology Unit, Department of Neuroscience in the, of the Karolinsk Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. And he says this, it is becoming more and more obvious that the exposure to electromagnetic fields may result in highly unwanted health effects. This has been demonstrated in a very large number of studies. This includes cellular DNA damage, which may lead to an initiation of cancer as well as mutations that carry down generations, disruptions and alterations of cellular functions like increases in intracellular stimulatory pathways and calcium handling, disruption of tissue structures like the blood-brain barrier, there we go again, blood-brain barrier, which may allow toxins to enter the brain, impacts on vessel and immune functions and loss of fertility. Um, that doesn't sound harmless to me. Um, it's interesting he mentions um, mutations in DNA carrying down generations. There's now something that's been for a while, um, but it's got more and more um, uh, attention, rightfully so, in, um, in recent years, I would say rightfully so, called epigenetics. And what they found is that changes in the genetics and experiences that, that people have had emotionally and mentally and psychologically etc can be passed down generations they talk about something called genetic memory as well so i recognize what uh ollie hansen is talking about there because i've got someone i've come across before so yeah this is um you know the smart meters are harmless uh like I said, um, the theme of today is ignorance and naivety, the deadly duo. And this is um, an, a great example of how the mainstream media is totally clueless on so many things. Uh, in Electricity smart meters, by contrast, are a relatively harmless spy in the home. Indeed, by encouraging us to help save the planet when they're not, because human-caused climate change is a scientific nonsense. They are on the side of the angels, compared with the fiends who run some of the world's ruthless digital giants. Well, I would fundamentally disagree for the reasons I've said uh, now, uh, and many other reasons as well. Um, so, we're going to go to another story now. Let's talk about this uh, Agenda 21 Hunger Games Society that I mentioned. This is a headline in The Guardian. It says, hundreds of thousands living in squalid rented homes in England. This is the world where we're going into. In the end, they want people to not even be in housing. They want them in flats, high-rise blocks of flats with very narrow living space in what are called human settlement zones. Um, and they want to make vast tracts of land, not least countryside and outside of the city, designated not, not to be used by anyone. And this is why farmers are finding it harder and harder to survive because they're using tactics to get them off the land. This is uh, one reason why we have fracking. Fracking um, causes chemicals to end up in the water. If you can't use the water and drink the water, then you have to go somewhere else. And that's what this is about. But there's, there's, um, there's various tactics being used to get people off the land into human settlement zones and into high-rise flats. I mean, flats are being built everywhere nowadays and I'm absolutely convinced that this is, uh, it's all part of the preparation for this world they um, to be. So the article says, rented housing so squalid it is likely to leave tenants requiring medical attention is being endured by hundreds of thousands of young adults in England. An analysis of government of government figures has revealed. Rats, mouldy walls, exposed electrical wiring, leaking roofs and broken locks are among problems blighting an estimated 338,000 homes. 
rented by people under 35 that have been deemed so hazardous. It is likely to mean that over half a million people are starting their adult lives in such conditions and a worsening housing shortage and rising rents, which are up to 15% across the UK in the last seven years. Visits by The Guardian to properties where tenants are paying private landlords up to £1,100 a month have revealed holes in external walls, insect-infested beds, water pouring through ceilings and mould-covered kitchens. A 30-year-old mother near Bristol, no, Bristol, that's interesting, said her home is so damp that her child's cot rotted. A 34-year-old woman in Luton told of living with no heating and infestations of rats and cockroaches, while a 24-year-old mother from Kent said she lived in a damp flat with no heating and defective wiring for a year before it was condemned. Young adults have very little option but to rent from a private landlord, so we should at least expect a decent home in return for what we pay. Uh, this is according to uh, Dan Wilson Crawl, director of the Generation Rent Campaign Group, and he goes on to say, relying on cash-strapped councils to enforce our rights means that too many of us are stuck with unsafe housing. The extent of the impact on young people emerges across party bids that give tenants new power to hit back against rogue landlords gathered strength. The government has backed a private member's bill going through Parliament that would allow tenants to take direct legal action instead of relying on local authorities to do so. Research by Shelter published last week found that 48% of families in social housing reported issues about poor or unsafe conditions felt ignored or were refused help. The issue was gained greater political impetus in the wake of the fire at Grenfell Tower where tenants had complained publicly about safety conditions but nothing was done before the blaze claimed 71 lives last June. Seven months before the blaze, Ed Daffern, a member of Grenfell Action Group, warned of dangerous living conditions and wrote in a blog post that only a catastrophic event will expose the ineptitude and incompetence of our landlord. Government figures suggest as many as 2.4 million people in England live in rented homes, both in the private and social sectors, with Category 1 hazards. That includes 756,000 households living in private rented properties, almost one in five with the whole private rented stock, and 244,000 households in social housing. The worst affected regions are the East and West Midlands, which features large numbers of Victorian homes, where about a quarter of a million rental properties suffer from Category 1 hazards, according to the figures compiled by Labour based on the English Housing Survey. These hazards include exposed wiring or overloaded electrical sockets, dangerous or broken boilers, very cold bedrooms, leaking roofs, mould vermin and broken stairs. Well, everyone's different. I, I don't know how people can live in conditions like that, but I guess if you have to, then you find a way. But this is all, again, like I said, part of the... Hunger Games Society they want to create. According to a Labour analysis of, Eng of an English housing survey, it says here over a quarter of privately rented homes in the West Midlands are classified as unfit for human habitation, which is an extraordinary figure. Um, One million homes in this country are currently unfit, putting the health and in some cases safety of tenants at risk, said Karen Buck, the Labour MP for North Westminster, who drafted the Fitness for Human Habitation Bill that is going through Parliament. Yet, at the moment, landlords have no obligation with their tenants to put up or keep the property in a condition fit for habitation. About half of councils in England have served no or just one enforcement notice under the Housing Act in the last year, Buck said. The London Borough of Newham estimates 10,000 private rented homes within its boundaries in the category equivalent to one in four. Its inspectors have photographed rats in larders, baths and beds in kitchens, bedrooms and cupboards and homes with plastic sheets in place of roofs. In practice, you have fewer rights renting a family home than you do buying a fridge freezer, said John Healy, MP Labour's Shadow Secretary of State for Housing. Too many people are forced to put up with downright dangerous housing. After the terrible fire at Grenfell Tower, it's even more important that ministers back Labour's plan to make all homes fit for human habitation. Sajid Javid, the Housing Secretary, said he was determined to do everything possible to protect tenants and pledged government support for new legislation that requires all landlords to ensure properties are safe and give tenants the right to take legal action if landlords fail in their duties. Since April, landlords have faced fines of up to £30,000 and as an alternative to prosecution, the government is planning banning orders for the most serious and prolific offenders with a database of convicted rogue landlords and letting agents. The Grenfell tragedy exposed catastrophic consequences of unsafe housing in the most devastating way and how our laws failed to protect people's right to a safe and decent home, said Shelter's Chief Executive Polly Neat. She goes on to say too many private and social renters are forced to live in poor and sometimes dangerous conditions unable to tackle safety concerns 
or legally challenge their landlord. In the end, through Agenda 21 and the agenda in general, they want an end to people owning their own homes because they want to regulate everything, including people who have access to shelter, people who have access to money, people who have access to food. As I said earlier, we don't want people to have access to anything unless they give people permission because then that is obviously one of the greatest means of control, which is what this is all about in the end. So again, this Hunger Games society, we're seeing it unfold and we've seen nothing yet. I'll do one more story here. Oh yeah, let's do this one. London braced for UK's biggest ever protest. Trump opponents say more than one million could descend on capital as MPs and celebrities call for huge demonstration donations. This is um, an example of how clueless people are. The idea that Hillary Clinton would have been any better in terms of the general direction of American society and the general direction in terms of uh, foreign policy is crazy. It, you know, people are talking about Trump could take us into World War Three. Well, with Hillary Clinton, it would have been almost a certainty. She would have had almost, she would have had, uh, I'm sure, almost no hesitation in taking us into World War Three because it's been the plan for so long. And she would do whatever the agenda demands. Uh, I mean, look at her record in the State Department over the years. That should tell you everything you need to know. The article says celebrities, politicians and activists are hoping to put on the biggest protest in British history when US President Donald Trump visits the country later this year. A Facebook group promising the most incredible protest in our history has already been created with over 20,000 so far signing up to attend. What about if those 20,000 actually protested against something important? How about the most incredible protest in our history? A peaceful protest, by the way, without shouting and without banners and slogans and without definitely without violence actually focusing on something important but doing it in a peaceful way but making a presence known and keeping it going rather than just doing it and then going home it comes after president trump and theresa may ordered officials to hammer out plans for a trip as the jury put on an extraordinary show of unity at the davos conference on thursday what this davos is essentially is basically a, a more public version of the bilderberg group the bilderberg group is one of the um, elite organizations the interfaces between the elite and the public its existence is known and even some of the people who attend it are known but not what they discuss which again tells you everything you need to know about that organization a meeting of some of the world's most powerful people regularly and we're not allowed to know what they discuss i think there's something suspicious there myself but maybe it's just me i have been told it is uh many times over the years which is which is probably a good thing to be honest the article goes on all these celebrities that are um, as i as i scroll down the story here i'm seeing all these celebrities that are supporting it clueless absolutely clueless just like the celebrities who supported the women uh, celebrities who supported uh, Hillary Clinton and it was like well she's a woman and I'm a woman so what's more to know I'll support Hillary Clinton well how about the fact that she as uh, exposed by people like Kathy O'Brien who wrote a book called Transformation of America which didn't actually start out as a book it originally started out as a court testimony Kathy O'Brien was saying that Hillary Clinton is a, uh, there's a bit of background before I say that. Kathy O'Brien was taken into a government military mind control project called MK Ultra, where they uh, traumatise the victim to the point where the, they dissociate and the mind creates amnesic barriers around the event, and basically fracturing the mind into self-contained compartments where the trauma is hidden behind each compartment so basically what they're doing is to use technological terms firewalling off parts of the mind the memories of the trauma and then programming these amnesic barriers with a new personality and instructions to do certain things and etc they even came out and admitted it in the 70s the CIA said yeah we were doing that but we stopped that in the 70s of course they bloody didn't stop it it's, they've been doing it all along but um, that was the cover story. Um, anyway, Cathy uh, O'Brien was taken into MK Ultra, and she says that um, in the book, which again, like I say, started out as a court testimony, she was uh, saved from the mind control industry, because it is an industry. 
by her husband, uh, Mark Phillips, who passed away, um, I think it was last year. He's recognised as an expert on mind control, uh, mind control, and he saved her from it. Um, and he and her wrote this book, which I've got a copy of, and there's uh, photocopies of court documentation in the book. And in the book, Kathy O'Brien says that Hillary Clinton is a mind control handler. Each of these compartments has a trigger to activate because they have what they call alters, a front alter, which is the personality that when people meet this person, they think is the person, and the person themselves think is the person. There's the front altar, and then there's the back altars, which are activated by trigger. The trigger could be a word, a color, a sound, a phrase, whatever, and that then means the front altar goes to the back, and one of the back altars comes to the front. Now this person could be a totally different person, but each altar thinks it's the whole mind. When a person switches to a new altar, they think that is who they are. Um, um, handler basically knows the triggers, they trigger the alters uh, whenever they need the person to be a certain personality and some certain alters have certain tasks and instructions programmed into them and they basically control the, the person, the handler and Kathy O'Brien says in Transformation of America how um, Hillary Clinton, well, certainly at that time she was involved, she may very well still be involved in it, and she actually talks in the book, Hillary Clinton actually abused her sexually, and she's gone on radio and said it, on the the, the brilliant uh, Richie Allen show, she went on there and, and, and said it as well. So Hillary Clinton is um, a massively corrupt person with no morals whatsoever, and the idea that she'd have been any better than Trump is ridiculous. If you're a clueless celebrity and you're going to stand up for a protest against Trump believing that Clinton would have been better because she's got a political background, well, lots of people have had political backgrounds. Tony Blair has got a political background. That doesn't mean he should be involved in, in anything deciding the run of the world anymore. It's just political background. Well, yeah, but in what sense? What kind of person are they? That's the question. And the real question that should be asked is how can a system be so rigged in the land of the free, so we're told, where anyone can become president. And then you look at the character profile of the presidents America has had, and you ask the question, well, if that was the case, anyone can become president, why haven't we had the kind of people that would actually run the country for the benefit of the people becoming president? Why hasn't that happened? Back through the decades, when's the last time it happened, if it ever, ever happened at all? Some people would say John F. Kennedy. I've not looked enough into John F. Kennedy's history to um I've seen a few quotes of his that are very interesting but I wouldn't I would not look enough at him to say my view on that but apart from him I mean can you th can anyone think of any other that's really actually running for the benefit of the people and if it's meant to be a country where anyone can become president why hasn't that happened because it's a rigged system to the point now where this, this should be the real question in the debate about Clinton or Trump how can a system be so rigged that in a country of over what, I think it's like 320 million, the last time I looked, that we end up with uh, a choice between Clinton and Trump. That should be the real question. Anyway, the article goes on. But plans for a red carpet state visit, including a grand evening with the Queen, if that was ever offered to me, not that it would be, I would find the first plane out of the country. Let's just say that for now. Are still on ice amid concerns about mass protests. Now, an anti-Trump coalition has vowed to make the protest against Trump the largest in British history, topping 2003's protest against the removal of Saddam Hussein, estimated to have attracted between 750,000 and a million people. Reacting to news of the visit, Tottenham MP David Lammy was among those calling for the biggest protest this country has ever seen. His tweet ended, who's in? Well, I'm not, because I think it's ridiculous, and protests are a massive way to justify more police presence, which is the last thing we need especially violent protest, unless it's done peacefully and it's done in a way that is not in any way inciting anything, but just making a point, as I said earlier. Meanwhile, the likes of Stephen Fry, Wathamstow MP Stella Creasy and activist Paul Mason have all backed a related group aimed at funneling support to organisations Trump is thought to dislike. Now, this is a thing. Just because Trump dislikes an organisation, therefore we should support it. Well, the question is, what organisation is it and what does it support? Among the organizations championed by top Trump targets are the Abortion Support Network. The Abortion Support Network, um, that's interesting because you've got something that's on the rise now, feminism. It's been around for a long time, obviously, but the Rockefeller family, one of the elite families, this elite 
Flatline Network are massively behind feminism. One of the reasons they created feminism is to push abortion. That's why they're behind Planned Parenthood, which feminists are in support of, because they want a massive cull of the human population, because there's too many people, even with the level of control of media and education and finance um, that they have and have had up to this point, it's still too many from their point of view. So they want a massive cull of the population. This is one of the reasons they want abortion. Help refugees is another one. Well, I'm behind helping refugees who genuinely need help, but there's a lot of people who come in as refugees. A lot of them are men, and a lot of them are just opportunists. You know, the progressives who support feminism, and who support migration, they won't accept that. To them, it's black and white. They won't go there. They won't go into the area of, yeah, some of them need help, but some of them don't. A lot of them are men according to official figures. This is what they wouldn't accept. Many when he points this out, it gets called racist or bigger. Well, tough, because it's the truth. You know, we have to start saying what needs saying. Otherwise, human society is going to be changed without anyone uttering any opposition at all. And through political correctness now, you're getting hate speech and all this stuff and all the, the social justice warriors, um, yeah, they do really call themselves that. That is really what they call themselves, social justice warriors. The crazy social justice... I mean, just go on YouTube and type in social justice warrior rant or angry, social justice warrior anger or something like that or crazy progressive rant and you'll see what I mean. The attempts now, more than ever, to demonise freedom of speech. And the only way to challenge that is to say what needs saying without fear of the consequences and without apologising if you offend someone. Being offended is a choice. If they don't want to be offended, they should choose not to be. If we're going to be intimidated about into not saying what needs saying about changes in human society, then we might as well just give up now. Because without freedom of speech, there can be no other freedom. And we need to say what needs saying. If you're genuinely trying to offend someone, that's a different story, and that should be dealt with in the appropriate way. But if you're not, and you do offend someone, then so what? It's their choice, you know, either we say what needs saying or we don't. Classicist Mary Beard and comic David Baddiel have also expressed support for the movement. Top Trump targets explains that when the president visits the UK, they want to put our money where our marching is by donating to groups working with those he has sought to exclude or marginalise. Uh, Operation Black Vote. I don't know uh, anything about that organisation, so I can't um, comment on that. Anyway, um, the article goes on. In May last year, an official petition action against the government over plans to provide a state welcome to Trump was signed by more than 1.8 million people. And this is a, a tweet here that they featured. It says, uh, Trump has addressed anti-LGBT conferences, tried to ban trans people from military service and repeatedly targeted vulnerable groups. If you're as tired of Trump as we are, channel that anger into action and back those it's targeted. Well, I'll just say something on the uh, LGBTQ+. Plus. I mean... We've got 26 letters in, letters in the alphabet. I'm sure they've only just started. We've now reduced gender to letters, not even words, letters. And the uh, the length of these descriptions is getting longer and longer. I mean, they'll be using all 26 letters eventually to describe who they are. I'm LGBTQ, FB, FZ. They'll be they'll be doubling letters as well. Z, Z, S, T. I mean, it'll take two minutes just for people to tell you what gender they are. It's ridiculous, but it's going somewhere. Where it's going is the end of gender. Because, as I mentioned, this transhumanist society, they want to create a synthetic human form. I mean, they're already creating... Ray Kurzweil talks about this. They're creating synthetic blood. They want to create a synthetic human form. Synthetic versions of natural remedies. Uh, Kurzweil talks about the natural world being infused with nanotechnology. They want to make nature synthetic. In the end, they want a synthetic human form that doesn't procreate and therefore doesn't need to have gender or sexuality because it doesn't procreate. It's just a computer terminal on a wireless network, as I said earlier, with even the human mind connected to this wireless network and that which controls that wireless network, artificial intelligence, then... <clears throat> becomes the human mind that's where we're going and this i'm this gender on that gender well the, that's not the point the point is that they want an end of gender and this is the way they're 
starting about it. You've got kids now in school, primary school, being asked to think about sexuality and gender issues, what gender they are when they're only kids. Why are they doing that? To confuse them from the earliest possible age so that they're open to the idea of being fluid gender from the earliest possible age, so that by the time they're adults, they'll be far more open to the idea than they would have been otherwise. And the previous generations have been. People say people are getting more questioning about their gender. Yeah, because they're being encouraged to be. That's why. I remember reading a quote from a head teacher in an article I read, which said he's not noticed uh, students questioning their gender before. No, because it's transgender bollocks, which is what it is, has come out of nowhere. Because it's part of an agenda. When something comes out of nowhere and is suddenly everywhere, almost every time, it's the agenda. Someone's pushed a button, symbolically, for the next stage of the agenda. People have genuinely feel they're in their own body and genuinely feel they should be a different gender, then fair enough, I'm all for supporting them and they should be supported and they should be encouraged on that and whatever they feel they need. Fair enough. But there's a difference between people who genuinely feel it and people who are being encouraged, especially kids from the earliest possible age, to question their gender when they wouldn't have before en route to an agenda where there's no gender, no sexuality, no procreation and in the end, no human and no human mind. That's where all this is going. And the transgender agenda cannot be separated from the transhuman agenda. Because it's all part of the same agenda. Now, they can't just bring that in out of nowhere. They've got to constantly prepare people, subconsciously as well as consciously, for that world. And this is why we're seeing this technological supposed enhancement, although it's not really, uh, this technological world and this dystopian world, this Hunger Games society and this fusing of gender, this transgender and all of this stuff in entertainment, in films, in television, all over the place, at every opportunity, because they have to, it's called predictive programming. Predictive programming, where they put something in front of people enough times to the point where the subconscious goes, most people don't know what the agenda is. The subconscious has downloaded so much imagery relating to that world that when it happens, they resist it far less and it seems more natural. They've got more of an intent to go for it. Predictive programming, that's what they're doing. That's why it's constantly, because there's no doubt that writers, producers, executives of films and television they know what they're writing about. They know what they're symbolising in these films and television. They know what the agenda is, and they're putting it in front of our face. All the movies over the recent years that have portrayed this dystopian world, this technological takeover, one after another, after another, after another, they know what they're writing about, and they're putting it in front of our face to get us more used to the idea of it, while people watch it completely clueless of what they're watching, thinking it's just... A random idea thinking that, that somehow the writers, the producers just thought, yeah, let's make another dystopian movie. It's not. They're writing it in that way so that we will watch it, download the imagery and subconsciously be programmed to accept that world or at least not resist it. And the article goes on. It was debated in Parliament in February last year, but the government responded with defiance, stressing this invitation reflects the importance of the relationship between the United States of America and the United Kingdom. But despite talks of a downgrade, Trump could still get his wish of meeting the Queen. Well, uh, good luck, because I wouldn't like to. The schedule for the visit is now being worked out by officials after Trump and May reaffirmed their commitment to the special relationship during talks of the World Economic Forum. They heaped praise on each other in a bid to kill off claims of rising tensions with reports Mr. Trump keeps interrupting a PM on the phone and his state visit invites turn to a nightmare. There was an extraordinary public row last year after Mr. Trump retweeted posts by British far-right group the leaders have also disagreed about the Iran nuclear deal and the US decision to recognise Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Well, this whole thing about Trump and Israel. I mean, Trump is a massive Rothschild Zionist. Uh, people think Zionism is about Jewish people. It's not about Jewish people. Rothschild used Jewish people and have as much contempt with Jewish people as anybody else. What Zionism is about, or Rothschild Zionism, is using... Jewish people to justify its political ends. Zionism is a secret society within the global web, one of the elite secret societies that places its agents in 
positions of power influences foreign policy of the West, among other things. You've got um, Zionist hate groups shutting people up who question Israel and question its horrific genocide of the Palestinian people and try to stop people speaking for whatever reason they want to stop them speaking. Rothschild Zionism is a global network, a secret society that places its agents in positions of power. That's what Zionism is, and it uses Jewish people as its cover. It's been used to slaughter culture Palestinians. It's been used for various nefarious ends, and the Rothschilds are massively behind Zionism. There's two different kinds of Zionism. There's the Zionism that the Rothschilds are not involved with, but as a whole, they're fundamentally behind Zionism, and they own Israel. Israel is not the homeland of Jewish people as much as it's the fiefdom of the Rothschilds. They completely control Israel. So the decision for Trump to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, well, Trump's a Rothschild Zionist, and so, therefore, it's not so much his choice as he, his master's demand that that's what he does, so he did. As simple as that. The article goes on, a plan for him to come to London to open the new US embassy next month has dramatically dropped, fueling concerns about breakdown in the historic alliance. As the pair posed for photographs at the Swiss ski resort on Thursday, Mrs May nodded along and Mr Trump said he wanted to correct false rumours that they did not get on. I think the feeling is mutual from the standpoint of liking each other a lot, he said. We love your country. He's talking about Britain. He added, there's nothing that would happen to you that we won't be there to fight for you. You know that. Mrs May replied, as you say, we had a great discussion today and we continue to have that really special relationship with the United States. We stand shoulder to shoulder because we face the same challenges around the world. Mrs May said the special relationship continued to matter because we are facing the same challenges across the world, working together to defeat those challenges and working for a good trade relationship in the future that will be to both our benefit. Well, why is it that no matter what president is in power and no matter what prime minister is in power, Britain and America stand shoulder to shoulder because it's not the individual. This is why when Tony Blair and Bush were in power, people said that Bush controlled Blair. Well, if Bush could control himself, that would be a start. Before Bush could control anybody else, surely Bush has to be able to control himself. Bush didn't control Blair any more than Blair controlled Bush. The same elite hidden network controlled both Bush and Blair and that's why they worked as one unit to invade Iraq and Afghanistan. That's why they did the same things because the same network controls both Trump, May, Blair, Bush, Cameron, Obama, etc. That's why they stand shoulder to shoulder because the same network controls both of them. It's nothing to do with this special relationship. We have to get over the idea that what we see in the public arena is how it is. The idea that Trump and May are the ones deciding what their relationship is is ridiculous. Their relationship is decided by the fact that they're Prime Minister of Britain and America. What they really feel about each other is irrelevant. They might not like each other, but that doesn't matter. They have to say they do because they have to work together. This is the massive chasm between the way it really is and the way the media and therefore the public see it. That's the question that needs to be asked. Why is it that no matter who's president or prime minister, America and Britain always stand shoulder to shoulder because the same network controls both of them? Mrs May said it was great to see the president as they shook hands and Mr Trump returned the compliment. He said the prime minister and myself have had a really great relationship, although some people don't necessarily believe that, but I can tell you, I have tremendous respect for the prime minister and the job she is doing, and I think the feeling is mutual from the standpoint of liking each other a lot. So there was a little bit of a false rumour out there, and I just wanted to correct it, frankly. Mr Trump said there would be a tremendous increase in trade between our two countries, great for both in terms of jobs. We look forward to that, and we're starting with that process pretty much as we speak. The PM and President were bombarded with questions about when Mr Trump would take a state visit invite, but he said, but he just said they would be talking about the issue. Downing Street said the visit would be in the second half of the year. A readout issued by Number 10 revealed that in their private discussions, the leaders discussed Bombardier, the aircraft firm that's facing punitive tariffs in a dispute with the US authorities. The PM reiterated the importance of the company's jobs in Northern Ireland, according to a spokesman. They also spoke about Iran, where the governments differ on whether to support the deal to stop it developing nuclear weapons. Well, evidence that Iran is a nuclear threat. Uh, evidence that Russia hacked the elections. Uh, but if you can tell people through the media who just repeat what they're told, then people will believe it because that's what people do. 
That's one of the reasons for me doing these podcasts. The Prime Minister updated the President on the good progress which had been made in the Brexit negotiations so far, Number 10 said. The two leaders reiterated their desire for a strong trading relationship post-Brexit, which would be in the, in the interests of both countries. And if, you just, if I just scroll up this article here. May cat that got the cream as Trump turns on the charm. This is where the media gets it right again. Oh, goodness me. Did I say the media was clueless? I might have mentioned it. The mainstream media... See, this is the thing they do. They look at body language as if body language has any bearing on anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they don't like each other. The same network controls them, so they have to work together. All this body language stuff is bollocks. So what if they don't like each other? doesn't matter. Donald Trump arrived like a prize fighter. Did he? Okay. Before man-spreading. This is this is this political correctness bollocks again. Man-spreading. This is one of the words that feminists and progressives use. Absolute fucking nonsense. In front of prime... I mean, that word is straight out of Orwell's 1984. That is, that is a newspeak, man-spreading. If he was alive, he would be uh, disappointed he didn't, he didn't think of that one. Donald Trump arrived like a prize fighter before man-spreading in front of Prime Minister Theresa May, a body language expert, said. Judy James said she was surprised to see the US president displaying normal body language in Davos for the first time in the years she's been studying him. She said that Mr. Trump spoke in an almost romantic tone when he referred to supporting Britain's military and Mrs. May looked like the cat that got the cream. Miss James added that Mr. Trump displayed no underlying signals of impatience while listening to Mrs. May noted that he turned to look at her speak. He turned to look at her speak. Well, isn't that what you do when you someone's sitting next to you and they're speaking? This is all bollocks. This is all diversion. Absolute bollocks. It, it doesn't matter if they don't like each other or, or do like each other. It doesn't matter either way. The fact is their strings are pulled by the same puppet master. So they work as one unit to do what the agenda demands. Simple as that. That's it. That's that what Cameron and Obama did. That's what Bush and Blair did. And that's what May and Trump are doing now. So I've called this test episode of um, pay-per-view ignorance and naivety, the deadly duo, and the mainstream media typify that uh, to an extraordinary extent. And that's the reason I'm doing this. So I hope you like this test episode. Um, I look forward to doing the real first episode very soon and um, putting events and situations into context and showing the connections because those those are the two things the mainstream media never does so i hope you like it and uh, uh talk next time bye